0: Tonight so we're going to look at Ezekiel chapter 35 and 36. Just a quick reminder as to the outline of this book. This is a broad outline, but I think it's helpful to, to realize how this book is laid out and to realize uh, where we are in our study on the outline. The book begins in chapter 1 with the prophet's call. Just a quick reminder, because of the Jews' disobedience to the Lord, he Judge them by sending the Babylonian Empire to overthrow them and take thousands of the Jews back to Babylon in captivity. Ezekiel was one of these Jews taken back to Babylon, and he was a priest. When he turned 30, God called him into the prophetic ministry. He said, While you're here, I have some messages I want to give to my people and to other nations as well, and you're going to be my mouthpiece. So in chapters 1 through 3, we see that dramatic call. Uh, from God to Ezekiel. The second part of the outline is uh, is a message uh, of judgment for Jerusalem and Judah. That's found in chapters 4 through 24. So that's a long section, and God is speaking specifically to His people, this this judgment because of their rebellion against Him. The third part of the outline is when... Uh, Ezekiel stops speaking to the Jews and begins to look at the other nations and begins to speak God's judgment against them because of their rebellion and their wickedness. And then the fourth part of the book is a message after the fall of Jerusalem. So God kept saying, even though Nebuchadnezzar has attacked Jerusalem twice, it's not yet been fully destroyed, but full destruction is coming. It's, It's going to be decimated. It's going to be burned to the ground. And that happened, we see that as we study through Ezekiel, and there's a message God has for the people after the fall of Jerusalem as a, as a way to say, okay, now what? What are we to focus on moving forward now that our capital city has been destroyed? And by the way, that's where we find ourselves tonight. We are in the midst of this message um, after the fall of Jerusalem. And then in chapters 40 through 48, there's a vision of future restoration for God's people and uh, some interesting stuff there. But here's a summary of the book of Ezekiel, written by Dr. Kendall Easley. From exile in Babylon, Ezekiel's stunning visions and startling symbolic acts were prophecies for the Israelites to teach God's sovereign plan over them and the history of His kingdom, so that they shall know that I am the Lord. And, and what that entails is this. God is, through this entire book, trying to get His people's attention Say, realize He is the one true God. He deserves worship. He deserves praise. He deserves glory. Stop, stop turning to other gods. Stop turning to pagan gods. Stop turning to false gods. Turn to me. That's the point of the book. Now, in our passages tonight, specifically chapters 35 and 36, we are going to be reminded of God's care and concern for His chosen people. God's care and concern for His chosen Chosen people. And here's what's interesting, and this really kind of hit me as I was working through the the text this week. Um, Each of of these uh, reminders of God's concern parallel the original Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Because if you remember, God appeared to Abraham and made some specific promises and to the Everyday Jew who was going through this destruction, this decimation, this captivity, they're probably thinking at this time, what about the promises to Abraham? Because if you remember, God appeared to Abraham and he made three basic promises. He I'm going to give you a a son and your son will have sons and they will have sons. And through your descendants, I'll build a mighty nation. We know that nation to be the the nation of Israel or the Jewish people. Starting with um, Isaac uh, who was born to Abraham and Sarah. And he says, I'm going to give your descendants a land in which to live. Remember that? A a promised land. A land that was promised. And he told them, "I'm I'm going to bless those who bless you. And I'm going to curse those who curse you. I'm going to stand against your enemies. And he said, through your descendants, Abraham, all the peoples, all the other nations on the earth are going to be blessed. Now... Uh, A good Jew would know very well that story of God's promises to Abraham. And if you were a Jew in Babylonian captivity, you would be thinking, what about those promises? I mean, he said he'd stand against our enemies. He allowed Babylon to overthrow us and, and destroy our capital city. And here we are thousands of miles from home. So he's not standing against our enemies. And he promised a land. We've been snatched from our homeland. We don't have a land in which to live anymore. It's it's not ours. And how in the world can this, this nation that has been destroyed by the Babylonians, how can we be a blessing to all the other nations? So surely there were some Jews thinking, God is not keeping his promises to Abraham. In fact, Tom Schreiner writes, The promises of Abraham were going backward instead of forward. But the promise had not been withdrawn. So we're going to see God talk about restoration here for his people. And it's interesting to know that each of these things he says go back to those promises that he made to Abraham. We'll see this as it unfolds. So in these passages, we're reminded of God's care and concern for his chosen people, the Jews. And we're going to see how it affects us in just a few moments. So, number one. Alright, if you got your notes there. God's care for his people is seen in his stand against their enemies. So way back in Genesis 12. I'm going to bless those who bless you, Abraham. Those who bless your descendants, I'm going to bless. Those who curse your descendants, I'm going to curse. And, and, and so, he made that promise. And yet, here they are. In exile. In captivity. In captivity decimated by another nation and other nations as well. And it seems like God had let let them down, that God had not kept His promise to Abraham. But look what the Lord says in Ezekiel 35, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face against Mount Seir, and prophesy against it, and say to it, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, Mount Seir, and I will stretch out my hand against you, and I will make you a desolation and a waste. Now, Mount Seir was a series of um, um, plateaus, kind of a high area, uh, in Edom. And as you've heard in this study, the Edomites were enemies of the Israelites. And that goes back to the whole conflict between Jacob and Esau. The descendants of Esau were the Edomites. And so the the mountainous area, the plateau-type area that bordered Israel was referred to as Mount Seir. Not a specific peak, but a a series of high places. And so when he's speaking to Mount Seir, he's symbolically speaking to Edom. And look what it says there uh, in verse 5. Because you cherished perpetual enmity and gave over the people of Israel to the power of the sword at the time of their calamity, at the time of their final punishment, therefore, as I live, declares the Lord... Lord God, I will prepare you for blood, and blood shall pursue you. Because you did not hate bloodshed, therefore blood shall pursue you. I will make Mount Seir a waste and a desolation. I will cut off from it all who come and go. I will fill its mountains with the slain on your hills and your valleys and all your ravines. Those slain with the sword shall fall. I will make you a perpetual desolation, and your city shall not be inhabited. Then you will know that I am the Lord, So here's what God's saying. Because you came against my people, my chosen people, I'm going to come against you. Because you uh, mistreated my people, I'm going to judge you. That's what God is saying in this passage. So in effect, he's remembering his promise to Abraham. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. And the remainder of the passage is about God's coming judgment on Edom. So God's defense of his people fulfills the promise to Abraham to bless the Jews and curse their enemies. So it's as if God is saying here, you think I've forgotten my covenant with Abraham. You think I've forgotten my promises. It looks bleak, it looks desolate. But I want you to know I've not forgotten. I'm still going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who... Curse you. And by the way, that statement of blessing for the friends of the Jews and cursing for the enemies of the Jews, I've not found anywhere that's been rescinded. I think it is wise to respect and honor the Jewish people. I believe they are God's chosen people. I don't believe that God's through with the Jews yet. I believe. Romans 11 indicates there's going to be a great ingathering of Jews coming to Jesus as the Messiah in the last day. So, God's not through with the, the Jews yet, and we should respect them and and uh recognize they are God's chosen people through through whom he made his name known to to all the peoples. And so it would be an unwise thing to be anti-semitic and there's a lot of discussion right now about that if you're into some pop culture stuff kanye got into some trouble this week because of some anti-semitic comments and and he's lost i think billions of dollars because of that it's it's never unwise it's never a wise thing to stand against god's people and i i, I don't i just don't know anywhere that's been rescinded throughout the bible and isn't it interesting how satan has raged against god's people through the centuries? I mean, we can go to many different places in human history and see how people have, have singled out the Jews for harsh treatment and, uh, and, and, and many awful things. And so God's care for his people is seen in his stand against their enemies. Number two, God's care for his people is seen in their return to the promised land. Because remember he said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a land in which to live, a promised land. And certainly there are some Jews saying, yeah, yeah. I guess God forgot about that promise. Here we are in Babylon, far from our homeland, and God said to give us a land. He, he forgot about that. Well, God wants to know, I have not forgot about that. Look what it says in chapter 36, verse 1. And you, son of man, prophesy to the mountains of Israel. Again, the mountains here stand for the entire nation. Just like Mount Seir stood for Edom, the mountains of Israel stands for the Jews. Prophesy to the mountains of Israel and say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because the enemy said of you, Aha! And the ancient heights have become our possession. Therefore prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord God, precisely because they made you desolate and crushed you from all sides, so that you became the possession of the rest of the nations, and you became the talk and evil gossip of the people. Therefore, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God." Thus says the Lord God to the mountains and the hills, the ravines, the valleys, the desolate wastes and the deserted cities, which you have become a prey and derision to the rest of the nations all around. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Surely I have spoken in my hot jealousy against the rest of the nations, against all Edom, who gave my land to themselves as a possession, with wholehearted joy, utter contempt. So when the Jews were taken away, the Edomites came and took that land for themselves." Therefore prophesy concerning the land of Israel and say to the mountains and hills, to the ravines and valleys, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I have spoken of my jealousy wrath because you have suffered the reproach of the nations. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I swear that the nations that are all around you shall themselves suffer reproach. But you, O mountains of Israel, look in verse 8, shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel. For they will soon, what? Come home. One day this land will support my people again because one day I'm bringing my people back home. I'm bringing them back to their land. If you read the book of Nehemiah, read the book of Ezra, you read Haggai, Zechariah, that's exactly what happens. God brings his people back from captivity and and gives them back their land, the land he had promised to them. So if you look there in uh, your notes... The return of the Jews fulfilled the promise of God to give Abraham's descendants a land in which to dwell. The return of the Jews fulfilled the promise of God to give Abraham's descendants a land in which to dwell. So again, if you're a Jew, you're in Babylon, far from home, and you say, I guess God just forgot that promise to Abraham. God's saying, I haven't forgot it. I'm going to give you back your land as an act of grace. So again, he's reminding them he's not forgotten his covenant. Now, look at number three. God's care for his people is seen in the institution of a new covenant the institution of a new covenant. Now I want to just if you look in the news I want to make several statements about this new covenant explain what that is all about and as we walk through these different uh, points you'll you'll kind of see it all come together so let's just kind of walk through the points. first of all a new covenant was needed. look what it says. In verse 16 of chapter 36. A new covenant was needed. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Look in verse 18. So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land, for the idols with which they defiled it. I scattered them among the nations. They were dispersed through the countries. And in accordance with their ways, their deeds, I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came... They profaned my holy name, and that people said of them, These are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of this land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. So this helps us to understand that a new covenant was needed because the people of God had failed to keep the old covenant. They had turned from God, rebelled against God, profaned His name, worshipped false gods, worshipped idols, turned to other nations for help. And God's saying, they were unclean before me. Now, what's the Old Covenant? Old covenants found in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's God's giving of the law to His people. There are three aspects to the law. There's There's the moral law of God found in the Ten Commandments. And what's one of the Ten Commandments? You shall have no other gods, what? Before me. What were the Jews doing? Worshipping other gods. Also, the law was ceremonial or cultic or sacrificial when he gave them the sacrificial system to teach them uh, that sacrifice needed to happen on behalf of the sins of the guilty. And then there was the the civic law, which was a law that that was meant to govern the people of Israel um, as they, you know, became a new nation. He gave them laws and codes uh, to live by that would keep them on the right uh, path. But when it came to the law of God, starting with the Ten Commandments, Israel had failed. They could not keep their end of the bargain. God was faithful. God blessed. God spoke. God gave them these commandments, these expectations. And the people miserably Failed now. Before we get a little bit judgmental, okay, and say those those Jews, they just could not get it. I mean, they just you know, I just can't believe they were so stubborn and and and, uh, and and so weak and so unclean. And I just I can't I can't believe that that they rebelled against God and disobeyed God. Have you looked at the Ten Commandments lately? And then maybe held your life up beside them and say. Hmm, have I ever broken any of these? Have I ever failed to keep the moral law of God? The answer is, yeah, we all have. And the Bible says to, to be guilty of once, be guilty of breaking them all, right? And so uh, a new covenant was needed. God gave His law, His expectations. They could not keep it, nor could we, nor can we. We all fall short of God's commandments and God's glory. So a new covenant was needed. uh, And God says that there in this passage. And a new covenant was graciously offered. Look what it says in verse 22 of chapter 36. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act. For the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. So here's what he says. Now watch this, this is important. God's saying, you couldn't keep the old covenant, you blew it. So I am going to do something new. And it's going to be Wonderful it's going to be a blessing to you. But notice what he says. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. It's for the sake of my name. I want to show my greatness, my grace in giving you this new covenant or this new arrangement. So this new covenant was graciously offered. And he gives us the details starting in verse 25 as to what this new covenant entailed. First of all, if you look in your notes, it offered, this new covenant offered forgiveness. Look what it says in verse 25. Well, verse 24, he says, I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the countries, bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, from your, all your idols. I will cleanse you. This, this, this language of cleansing speaks of forgiveness. Because sin defiles. Sin makes us unclean before a holy God. So if we are guilty before a holy God, we need our guilt Washed away. We need our guilt cleansed. We need our sin dealt with. We need our sin forgiven. And God's saying, you could not keep the old covenant. You blew it. You've fallen short. So here's the new covenant. I'm going to offer you forgiveness. For all the ways you blew it, I'm going to offer you forgiveness. And notice here, he doesn't give them a bunch of instructions as to how they are to clean up their own lives, does he? He says, I'm gonna forgive you. See, a lot of people feel the uncleanness of sin. They feel the weight and guilt of their sin and rebellion against God. They feel the brokenness, the consequences of sin. And because they feel that, they say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do better. I'm gonna I'm gonna self-improve. I'm going to work harder to be a better version of myself. And it becomes all about trying to, trying to kind of work your way out of the pit. But but here's the deal. No matter how many good things you do, no matter how vastly you improve yourself, there's still sin in your life that's there. It's there. It's between you and a holy God. It's got to be taken away. And you can't have your sin taken away by just doing some good stuff. God's got to take it away. God's got to provide the forgiveness that you need. So here's a quote from Christopher Wright. He writes, The job of cleaning up the accumulated dirt of our lives has to be done by God himself. Look at me, friends. We can't clean ourselves. We can't wash away our own sins. I wish we could, don't you? But we can't. God's got to do it. And God's saying, here's the new covenant. Yes, you blew it, but I'm going to offer you forgiveness. That's number one. Number two, it offered inner transformation. Look what it says in verse 26. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So God's saying, not only am I going to offer you forgiveness in this new covenant, I'm going to change you from the inside out, inner transformation. I'm going to give you the wherewithal to want to obey me, to want to honor me, to desire to live up to the the moral law and expectations of God, this new covenant offered inner transformation. And inner transformation is a big deal because if we simply experience God's cleansing from sin but no inner change, we find ourselves in the same boat. With no real desire to honor God with our lives. But this new covenant says, not only is God going to offer us forgiveness, He's going to offer us a change of of, of inner wiring, if you will. So let let me illustrate this. A lot of people think that forgiveness or or salvation is like taking your car through a car wash, right? Right? You have a car, it's dirty, go through the car wash, the water washes off the dirt, you come to the other side, and that's it, that's salvation. You've been cleaned, right? That's certainly a part of it. Forgiveness is when you're cleaned; your sin is washed away, right? But the salvation that God is offering here is more than just having your sin washed away. It's like a car going through a car wash. In the middle of the car wash, the water stops for a moment, and a bunch of car experts enter the the, the tunnel, and they put entirely new wiring and a brand new motor in that car. So when it comes out on the other side, the dirt's been washed away. Yeah, that's great. It looks beautiful on the outside. But also, it is fundamentally new on the inside. It's a brand new vehicle from the inside out. And God's saying, that's what I'm going to offer you. I'm going to offer you forgiveness, your sins washed away, and I'm going to change your internal wiring, a new heart, a, a new spirit. i want to make you a brand new person. That's not all. Look back in your notes. It offered, it offered a personal relationship with God Himself. Now look what it says in verse 27. He says, and I will put my spirit, that's the spirit of God, within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So not only am I going to wash your sin away and give you new wiring, I'm going to put the power of God in your life to help you to live in a way that honors me. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. So that almost be like a car in the car wash, the, the, the water washed away the dirt, the mechanics come in, put in new wiring and a new motor, and then they put in the middle of the motor a nuclear reactor to power it. It'd be some kind of vehicle, right? And God's saying this new covenant, this new arrangement, forgiveness, new heart, brand new person, and the third person of the Trinity, God Himself, is going to come live on the inside. Now, hey, look at me real quick. This is important. If that happens to a person, forgiveness, new heart, Holy Spirit, how in the world can there be no change? Right, if that really happens in a person's life spiritually, there's got to be a change there. You can't just stay the same if all that's happening in your life. And so he says it offers inner transformation and offers a personal relationship with God. Look what it says in verse twenty-eight. I got hung up on. It. Look at verse twenty-eight. You shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers. Gave to your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from your Uncleanness, and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay uh, no famine upon you. So he's saying there, you'll be my people, I will be your God. You will have a personal relationship with God himself. Now, Jeremiah has almost a, um, has a parallel passage where he's saying almost the exact same thing, about the same period in Israel's history. He's saying there's this new covenant coming, and in Hebrews chapter 8... The writer of Hebrews quotes Jeremiah's passage about the New Covenant. In fact, I want you to turn to Hebrews 8 really quickly. Hebrews 8, New Testament. Quoting Jeremiah. It says there, look in verse 10. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. They shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest. I will be merciful toward their iniquities and remember their sins no more. So that's uh, Jeremiah's version of the new covenant quoted in the book of Hebrews. So God's saying, yes, you've blown it. You could not keep the Old Covenant, so here is a New Covenant. Now, a couple things about the New Covenant, and we're going to get back to us in just a minute. The New Covenant would bring glory to God. Back in, uh, you don't need to turn there, but back in, stay in Hebrews 8, but back in uh, Ezekiel 36, he speaks of this being for the sake of his name, for the sake of his name, so that you will know that I am the Lord. So God said, I'm going to do all this so that I will get the glory, so you will see how good and gracious I am. But here's the question. Someone says, Well, that sounds good. Sins washed away, new heart, new wiring, a spiritual nuclear reactor. The Holy Spirit comes live on the inside of me. I mean, unlimited power in me now, exercised on my behalf. I want in on that. And it seems like reading Ezekiel that this is like just for the Jews. And even here in Jeremiah, he mentions the house of Israel. So, how does someone enter into this new covenant with God? I mean, can we, are we can we be recipients of this new covenant? Look there in your notes. The new covenant is available only through Jesus Christ. Look what it says in Hebrews 8, verse 6. You're already there. So look in Hebrews 8, verse 6. He writes, before he. Quotes Jeremiah, "As it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since he has enacted on him better promises. For that first covenant had been faultless. In other words, if you could keep it, you can't. If you could keep the old, old covenant, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. In other words, if the old covenant could save, then why would we need to do away with the old covenant? Let's just keep the old covenant and get saved, but we can't keep the old covenant, we're all sinners. So he's saying there's need for a new one. And notice there, it says there that Jesus is the mediator of this covenant. He's the one that makes this covenant available and oversees uh, the fulfillment of this covenant. And you say, well, is it for me, though? Can, I mean, is, is it for me? I'm, I'm, maybe you're not, here, you're not a Jew. Is it for me? Well, turn to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. How many were here Sunday in... Participate in the Lord's Supper. Raise if you participate in the Lord's Supper. All right. So it was a really great time, special time. I always love to celebrate the Lord's Supper with my church family. And it was just a sweet, sweet service. But look what it says in Luke chapter 22, verse 19. This is when Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper with his disciples in the upper room on the night when he was betrayed. It says, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they'd eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The juice in the Lord's Supper, the cup, represents the shed blood of Christ, which makes the new covenant available. So listen to me, look at me real quick. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you've placed your faith and trust in Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, His blood shed on the cross has been applied to your spiritual account and your sins have been washed away. And He's brought you into the blessings of the new covenant. So if you know Jesus, the new covenant's for you. So what's that mean? What's that mean? If you're a Christian, sins have been washed away, new heart. New spirit. The spirit of God lives in you. You are a recipient of the new. Isn't that good? You get in on the new covenant through Jesus Christ. Now, back to Genesis chapter 12. Had God forgotten his promises to Abraham? I'll bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. And he says to uh, his people in Ezekiel 36, I'm going to stand against Edom, your enemies. And... Um, he says there uh, back in uh, Genesis 12, we'll give you a land. He says to his people, I'm bringing you back to the land. But then he said, Abraham, through your descendants, I'm going to bless all the peoples on the face of the earth. Had God forgotten that blessing? How could a, a devastated nation in captivity bless all the other nations? The answer is the new covenant. Look there in your notes. This new covenant's availability to everyone fulfills the original promise to Abraham to bless all peoples. In other words, God would preserve His nation, the Jews, and through the Jews He would send His Son, the Messiah, to this earth, who would come to this earth and die on the cross for the sins of the world, taking our place, taking our sin, taking our shame, rising from the dead, so that if anyone places their faith and trust in Him from any nation, any tribe, any tongue, they can experience the blessing of salvation. So when God's saying, I'm giving you this new covenant, he's saying, I'm going to bless all the peoples on the face of the earth through this new covenant. Everyone can get in on this if they will trust Jesus Christ alone. And so chapters 35 and 36 basically are God's way of saying, I've not forgotten my promise to Abraham. They are right on schedule. I will come through.